Hello and welcome to the podcast from Holy Trinity Westerhales. We are delighted that you've joined us for this week's podcast and pray that you would be blessed through it. Lord, we've just sung, come Holy Spirit and break those walls down. So Lord, we pray that we would be prepared for what you are going to say to us this morning. That we wouldn't be listening out for any voice other than yours. And Lord, although we are hearing the story today of when you spoke roaring like thunder, we thank you in that same place, on that same mountain, you came and spoke with Elijah and he heard you as a still, small voice. So Lord, we pray that we'd be listening both for the thunder and for that still small voice this morning, that small voice that will point us closer to you, that small voice that will help us to know what your word is saying to us, that small voice that will help us not to leave this place changed because we have spoken with you. Lord, I pray that you would just bless each person in this room. Amen. Now, I wonder if I was to ask you the question, when did church start? wonder how you would answer that question. We've had a few clues this morning. When did church start? That's exactly... You've stolen my punchline there, Neil, thanks. Yes, the answer I was looking for is 10.30, not looking at anyone in particular. <laughs> church did begin at 10.30. But yes, we talk about the birthday of the church, don't we? On Pentecost, which is today. And um, Ian, as part of that worship, he read the story from Acts 2, when all the disciples were gathered together. And they've been waiting since the ascension. They've been waiting for this promised helper. And suddenly they hear the sound of a violent wind and flames come down. And they start speaking in tongues as the Spirit comes. And people notice that something's happening The whole of the city is filled with visitors from far and wide, many of whom speak different languages, and yet each of them can understand what's being said. And they want an explanation, because if they can't get an explanation, they're just going to keep making accusations, aren't they? You're all drunk. It's only nine in the morning. So Peter has a chance to stand up and explain what's going on. And if you read the chapter, you read his wonderful sermon that just turns so many people to follow Jesus. But how does he start that sermon? I think in a way that is quite unexpected. He doesn't just say, come on, come on, come on, guys, it's the Holy Spirit. What he does is he turns to um, a passage from the prophet Joel. And we're going to have that up on the screen And when we're reading these prophecies in the Bible, they not only look forward to what God's doing, they not only speak to the people who they were addressed to at the time, but often they pull on pictures of God's faithfulness and God's story um, from the past so that people understand what's going on. And this is what um, Peter um, says to the people from the book of 
Joel, I need to get myself a Bible with ribbons like you, um, Ian, because my post-it notes are no good. Okay, this is what he said. Reading from Joel chapter 2, verse 28, he says, And afterward I will pour out my Spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. I will show wonders in the heavens and on the earth, blood and fire and billows of smoke. So when the people heard that, he was pointing to what the spirit was. He was pointing to what God was doing. But actually, in drawing on this picture of fire and billows of smoke, yes, he is pointing towards what will come in the end. But these are images which will resonate with God's people. Because these are images of when God came in Exodus 19. When God turned up. And although we might say that church started on that Pentecost, if you speak to many Messianic Jews, um, I spoke to um, Martin Goldsmith, I remember speaking on this once, he says that church started on that day that we heard about in Exodus 19, when God's people gathered with intention to be with God. And that was the first church service. And I think that's lovely how it ties in with our Pentecost Sunday. So why are we talking about this today? Well, we were um, talking about last week, we were starting a service, uh, a series on theophany, a fancy theological word. Now, I've been at New College all year. I still don't understand theological words. So we're going to keep talking about when God turns up. But theophany is when God appears. And last week we talked about when God appears at a whirlwind and that image in the book of Job. And when God turns up in these different ways, it helps us to understand more of who he is. And as we understand him more, we can get closer to him and understand his big picture. So today we're going to look not at God in a whirlwind, but we're going to stick with the weather theme because we're British, and we're going to look at thunderstorms, when God shows up in a thunderstorm. And I wonder for any of you, as we read through the passage this morning, if you're like, I think we did this quite recently. And actually we did, because in Hebrews 12, this, um, as part of our series that we've just finished, actually the writer of Hebrews talks about this scene at Mount Sinai, and he talks about the mountain of fear as opposed to the mountain of joy. And it says, when, um, it says um, that the sight of this thunderstorm at Sinai was so terrifying that Moses said, I am trembling with fear. So what we're talking about today is awe-inspiring and scary, even for those of us who know God well, and perhaps even more so for those of us who know God well. God can be awesome and overwhelming, and that is the picture that we get here. So what we're going to do this morning, we're going to do a quick sort of walk through what actually happens in Exodus 19, and then we're going to have a particular look about why it is perhaps that God chose to show himself to his people in a thunderstorm. 
So we join the people three months into their trek through the wilderness and they gather at Mount Sinai. And God is about to give them a clear message as to why it is that he rescued them. He's brought them out of slavery in Egypt to this place. But why and what for? And these are key verses we're going to look at in chapter 19. Um, and we're going to be looking at verses 4 to 6 here. And we can have them up on the screen. Because as Ian was teaching us last night, there's three key themes that come up in the Old Testament that help us understand that story of what God is going to do leading into what Jesus does. And the first thing is his presence. Throughout the Old Testament, it's the importance of God's presence with his people. The next thing is his covenant, the promise that he makes a blessing to his people. And the third thing is his kingdom. And all three of those things are mentioned here as, um, as God explains to Moses what it is that they're doing here. And he says, you yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt. The pl- we've seen the plagues, we've seen the armies washed away, um, we've seen the angel of death, all these things that have happened. And how I carried you on eagles' wings and I brought you to myself. That's his presence. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, here we go, there's the other key word, and his covenant is these, these, this law that he's about to give Moses in chapter 20 on Mount Sinai. If you um, obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations, you will be my treasured possession. Don't look around, wonder what the other countries got, what the other people can do. You're my treasured possession. And although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Now, this did not mean that they were all going to put on dog collars and have to go to new college. To be a kingdom of priests was to be chosen to be God's representatives They were going to be shaped by living this covenant, shaped into these lives that would stand out to the rest of the world and communicate to the world, our God is God. And it would draw the other nations in. He has a purpose to show who he is to the world. And so Moses takes this message and he goes back down the mountain and he tells the people, look, God rescued us for a purpose. He wants to live in covenant for us, eh, with us, and we will be his kingdom. This is a continuation of what was promised to Abraham. And the people all agree. I love that. The people um, all responded together we will do everything the Lord has said. And so Moses climbs back up the mountain and brings this answer to the Lord. And this is the point that God says to them, okay, I'm going to come and I'm going to show myself to the people. Now, why does he do that? Why does he do that? It tells us in verse 
Nine, that the reason he does that, he says, I'm going to come to you in a dense cloud so that the people will hear me speaking with you and will always put their trust in you. This is not for God's benefit. This is for the people's benefit. So they know who it is that they've been listening to. They know that Moses is going to be his spokesperson. Hold on to that message. It's not for God's benefit to show off. This is for the people's benefit to know who they're going to be following. Now, Moses had a big task on his hands. Now, sometimes I think we can imagine sort of an easygoing crowd when we picture this group walking across the desert. But if you look in Exodus 12, it tells us there are 600,000 men plus women and children and other people. So essentially, Moses is leading the population of Glasgow across the desert. Now, that's no easy task, is it? Not saying anything about Glasgow here. Um, but leading the, you, you can't send a text message to them all, say, take a left here, you know? Um, and there will be other people who'll be like, well, why should he be leading us? And Mo, God wants to make it clear that he is going to be speaking to Moses, not someone with great personal ambition, not someone who just, I'll do it because it'd be nice if I could do it, you know, I'll help out. Not someone who, um, who has a very clear set of, this is my ideology, follow me. He wants Moses to be his person. And this is going to be hard work for Moses. He's about 80 at this point. And if you look at the traditional Hollywood films, Ten Commandments, Charlton Heston with his big bouffant hair. Yeah. And it's this very lovely image. I mean, he just strolls up the mountain once. He gets the commandments and he comes back down, not hair out of place. And there we go. But if you read through this passage, poor Moses is up the mountain and then he's down the mountain and he's up the mountain. He's down the mountain bringing this message his hair would not have been quite so nice by the end of it. We need to keep up our spiritual fitness, folks, because um, being chosen to be God's person is hard work. But Moses is taking that on. And for us as well, God is showing who he's putting his trust in by speaking to Moses. And I wonder for you, when you're trying to decide who you trust, is their communication with God one of the factors that you bring in? I've been so blessed being in this congregation by knowing that if I need to ask for advice or help, which is quite often, um, that there are people I know I can go to who I know talk to God regularly, who I know will pray and ask questions, who I know know God's voice because they've heard it so often because they've sought it out in his word and they've heard his voice speaking to them. We can put our trust in the people who know God's voice well. And Moses was such a person. He was trustworthy. And once God tells Moses that he's coming in this cloud, it's time for the people to get ready. And they have a list of things they have to get clean, things they have to abstain from, things that they have to prepare for three days before he arrives. They can't come to God with clean hearts. None of us can. But they can jolly well come in clean clothes. And that 
actual intentional preparation actually gets them ready, thinking about what is going to happen. It gives them a chance to show their reverence and go into what God has for them with purpose. I don't know about you, but you know, if we know we were going to have a significant encounter in our lives, whether it's a job interview or meeting with someone slightly difficult or important in our personal circle, or whether it's um, a special occasion, we, we put effort into it, don't we? We brush the hair, we shave the face, we choose the outfit, whatever. We've seen that on the Jubilee celebrations this weekend, all the fancy hats, whatever. And because part of that getting ready is that psyching ourselves up, isn't it? This is important. I'm putting an effort here. Now, what I'm not saying is we should all come to, we have to come to church in our Sunday best. I certainly cannot advocate for that. I've got child here, cat here. It just, um, but what we can do is come to meet the Lord with intention. We can come with a prepared heart, with a prepared mind. And the wonderful thing about the Holy Spirit is that he's really, really good at getting us ready for that. He won't do our washing, but he's really good with hearts. And we can ask him to prepare us before we meet with God. So the people are clean. They think they're prepared. And the thunderstorm arrives. I want to close your eyes and visualize this. Don't go to sleep, please. But close your eyes and visualize this. On the morning of the third day, there was thunder and lightning with a thick cloud over the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast. Sight, smell, sound, heat. Everyone in the camp trembled. And then Moses led the people out of the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord descended on it in fire. The smoke billowed up from it like smoke from a furnace and the whole mountain trembled violently. Wow. Can you truly prepare yourself for something like that? So why? Why a thunderstorm? Why when God turns up does he come in this way? Now, each of us, I bet, will have had our own significant thunderstorm experiences. Maybe we can remember as a child, maybe in recent years, when I say, right, think of a storm. I bet you've got a story in your head of a time that you remember a big storm. Maybe you're someone who gets excited about a storm and you run to the window trying to get pictures of a lightning fork. Maybe you're something a bit more like Maria and the Von Trapp family. You all get into bed and hide under the covers because it's frightening. But this storm is so much more than a, do you remember the storm of 82? This is so much more than that. It's not just a storm, it's the creator of storms and he um, and this uh, this is a mountain that's on fire and the earth is trembling to its very core this is God and he's turned up and he's turned up the wow factor and he's turned up the fear factor and he's turned up the holiness to maximum so what do we make of it why thunderstorms? So some quick ideas. Why did God come in a thunderstorm? First of all, thunderstorms bring clarity. 
I was watching a wee documentary in National Geographic, and um, it talked about how storms bring balance. They rebalance the pressure and the energy. And you'll all know that feeling when you're like, you actually want a storm to come because the air is so thick and so tense. And when God came in a thunderstorm, he, he didn't bring that breaking, he brought amending. He reset the pressure. He comes to point to the solution. He comes to reset his people. That white hot light of lightning just makes everything clearer. This is our God. This is who we're following. This is who rescued us. This is who we're worshiping. He, it clears the air so that they can take on the new and be prepared for their calling into a new identity and a new land. Secondly, thunderstorms draw the eye up, don't they? You can't help yourself. You look up and they are magnificent and they are beautiful and awe-inspiring. And if you hear a roll of thunder in the distance, you look up, you, you want to see what the clouds are doing. Is it close? In the wilderness, the Israelites had been walking around, looking at their feet day after day, same old dust, trudging on. Before they crossed the Red Sea, they'd looked behind them to see the chariots coming to get them and bring them by force back to Egypt. In Egypt, they'd looked around and looked at their helpless suffering day after day, and been forced to direct their gaze at a mere man who called himself a god, Pharaoh, who could only stand on the mountain of a pyramid because of the work and the grind of hundreds and hundreds of thousands of slaves making it for him. But God is directing their gaze up, up at a mountain that he spoke into being himself. Look at this God. He is wonderful. He is beyond anything that Pharaoh or the gods of Egypt could do. Don't look round at each other. Don't look at the other nations. Don't look down. Look up at what God is doing. And he's magnificent and he's magnified. So thunderstorms, they bring clarity. They draw the eye up. Thunderstorms also bring an echo have you ever heard a thunderstorm echo that boom, 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 boom of thunder? And this thunderstorm is going to echo through the whole of Scripture. So the people always remember when they met with God. It's mentioned in the book of Job, this God who created thunder. There's at least seven Psalms, including the one that we started the service with, where um, the psalmist writes of the thundering voice of God and his power. David draws on this image of the thundering God time and time again in his worship. God thunders in judgment in Isaiah and in Jeremiah. That picture's drawn on. And if you go to Revelations, there's amazing pictures of um, thunderous voices and flashings of lightning and the great battles that are described. And the final thundering noise at the end of Revelation, at the end of time, is the sound of God's people all crying out in praise all at once. And it's described as thunder. But the particular echo I thought would be good to look at this morning is in John chapter 12. We're just going to look at that 
really, because we've talked about how God points to Jesus. And in John chapter 12, we see how this thunder is used to point to God's son. It's just after um, Jesus has come in on a donkey into um, Jerusalem and all the people have cried, Hosanna, Hosanna. And um, some of the um, people then, um, then ask if they can come and speak to Jesus. And Jesus suddenly declares that it is his time. He says, now my soul is troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. No, it was for this very reason that I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. And then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it and will glorify it again. The crowd that was there and heard it said it had thundered. Others said an angel had spoken to him. Jesus said, this voice was for your benefit, not mine. Once again, God is speaking like thunder to point his people to his person. And unlike Moses, Jesus isn't just a representative who's going to run up and down and up and down a mountain. Jesus is God incarnate. And we get a sense of his sheer holiness in this point at the beginning of Holy Week, where he is troubled by all he knows that is to come. The fact he's going to die this horrible death on the cross. But instead of asking the Father to lift that from him, he instead prays the prayer, God may be glorified. It's a prayer we can pray on every occasion. And God turns, says to the people, I have been glorified and I will be glorified again. He'll be glorified through all Jesus has done and all he is going to do. Jesus, the only one who can be pointed to by God as the Holy One, the only one who can take on that death on the cross, take away all our mess, all our mistakes, all our deliberate choices to go a different direction and through the cross bring that salvation that's promised. Jesus' words were vitally important and were to be obeyed and his acts on the cross were planned and deliberate as part of this promised plan that God is laying out in Exodus 19. It's Jesus and Jesus alone who could bring salvation. And John mentions this thundering voice so that the people who read it were like, that's God. And he speaks, and I must listen. Finally, we'll be very pleased to hear finally. Finally, thunderstorms bring danger. Now, when I was a student, I spent two summers, student first time, it feels very different doing it again, old ancient. Um, when I was a student first time round, age 19, I spent two summers working at a Christian campsite in France. And um, one of the summers I worked there was the summer of the great big um, heat wave in France, where it was hitting 50 degrees in Paris and people were dying of heat stroke. And it was really hot living in a tent that summer. 
But what that heat brought with it was enormous thunderstorms. And my job every morning was with three others to lead 88 to 10-year-olds with just a few footballs and unlimited water balloons, as you do when you're 19. Um, But when these thunderstorms would come, they'd bring sheets of rain and we'd run and try and take all the kids into the big marquee where all the teaching was normally done. And um, I was feeling quite pleased with myself. We'd got all the children safely there. They were only marginally soaked. We'd only lost 16 or 17 water balloons and two footballs. And we were in there safely and we were playing games when in comes one of the caretakers from the site and he pulls me aside and he says, Joe, you're looking awfully happy. And I'm like, I am. I'm enjoying myself. He said, can I just say something to you? And I'm like, sure. And he said, now, this big tent here, it seems like a good place to be, but have you noticed what the big supports are made of? I was like, what? He's like, they're made of metal. He said, this is the biggest structure for miles around. And when the lightning strikes, which it will, all those poles are going to become electrified. And if one of those children touches them, now as a children's worker, the last thing you want to hear is that you're on the verge of frying someone's child. Now I haven't yet, could still happen, but it was a little unsettling. Um, Thunderstorms are dangerous. And this situation in Exodus 19 is dangerous, not because God's about to zap anyone, but because in his presence, it's his holiness that they can't come near. And Moses sets out very clear boundaries that that God has outlined for the people. And actually in the next few verses of the chapter, God reiterates those boundaries because it's so important that the people know to keep back this isn't safe. Storms are frightening. They can't be controlled. We might be able to uh, harness a fraction of their power with a lightning rod, but we're not really controlling the storm when we're doing that. And when God comes as a storm, he reminds us very importantly that he and he alone is in control. He can't be swayed by the court of public opinion or what I heard about, what's the new phrase this week? Um, Trial by TikTok. He um, isn't persuaded by the latest trends. He can't be bought by the richest or persuaded by the biggest intellects. He can't um, be defeated by military aggression. He can't be distracted. He's never too old for the job. He can't be exhausted. He doesn't get bored. There never will be a new and better version of God that comes out. And he's not fickle with his promises. God and God alone is in control. And I think sometimes we need to be reminded that God is mighty. Um, If we go on to the next slide, in Exodus chapter 20, this is what Moses said to the people when they're looking scared. He says, do not be afraid. God has come to test you so that the fear of God will be with you to keep you from sinning. Be afraid, but be afraid. Uh, Don't be afraid, but be afraid. He's telling them it's right to be in awe and wonder and fear of the Lord, that that's the safe place to be. He's saying that actually the dangerous place to be is the person who runs up onto the hill with a fork in the air and saying, ha ha, you can't get me storm. He's saying for them to be wowed by God's holiness is the best possible place to be because he is their loving father and he has a covenant with them. 
So what can we make about this God who turns up in a thunderstorm? There's a quote that's come back to me time and time again this week. And it's from the stories of Narnia by C.S. Lewis. And I was thinking about the, the roar of the thunder. And this is when the children are finding out about Aslan, which is C.S. Lewis's picture of Jesus. Aslan is a lion. The lion, the great lion. Oh, said Susan. I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe. But he's good. He's the king, I tell you. Maybe that's what we need to remember about God who chooses to come as a thunderstorm. He's not safe, but that's a good thing because he's in control. And he's good because he sent Jesus. And Jesus brought salvation for each of us. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you that you are a God who can always wow us, a God who blows us away, the God above all things. Lord, I thank you that you bring clarity to situations where everything feels out of balance. Lord, I thank you that you can bring um, that sense of um, right fear because you are in control Lord, I thank you that your message doesn't change. It echoes through eternity. And I pray today that our eyes would be drawn up to who you are, that we would worship this week, that we would look to you in wonder and a little bit of fear perhaps, but also hold on to the fact that you are good. You promised your people you'd be with them. You promised your people you would save them. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for your spirit who reminds us every day to hold on and look to you. Amen.